This morning, I have a sermon to preach. Um, and if, if there was ever a Sunday when we had to pray about things the whole service long, guess what we would do? We would pray about things the whole service long. But we've got some time, and God's got something to say to us from his word. You might have noticed that there isn't a text in your bulletin, because we're going to be, Lord willing, preaching through the entire chapter of Luke 15. There are three parables, so there are three points, and we're going to try to march all the way through it, but there's just too much text to type out in your bulletin and still allow you to see it with your eyeballs. So um, you're going to need your Bible, so if you have a Bible, turn it on or get it out, and uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Uh, there is a Bible under the chair in front of you, and Luke chapter 15 starts on page 874. I think following along in the Bible is going to be good for you. We will have it on the screen, but we're going we're gonna to be going down and looking back a little bit, so it'll be helpful for you to have it in front of you. While you're doing that, my reason for doing three parables in the same sermon isn't because I like a good challenge. I do like a good challenge, but my reason for doing that is because the three parables in Luke 15 are meant to go together. They tell one story. These three parables are about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a sort of long lost son, the prodigal son. But the one story they tell is about how God responds to lost things, in particular, how God responds to lost people, people who are not following him, those who have wandered away from him and away from what he wants. For the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the scribes of the first century, those who were far from God, the sinners, were despised. They were gross. We don't want to spend time with the sinners. Why would we spend time with those sinners? Because for the religious elite, they spent all of their time, their energy, trying to be good, trying to be righteous. And so to look at someone, and don't we do that too a little bit, where I try to live the best life that I can. I try to honor God the most that I can. And when I find someone that's just not honoring God at all with their life, don't you, or is it, am I just, is it just me? But don't, isn't there a, a tendency to look at them and think, ugh, you know what I mean? I, I don't really want to associate with you. You're not the kind of people I want to surround myself with. When I was a kid, I remember, I think I went to an assembly one time, and, and the speaker uh, was talking about how uh, when you have friends, it is easier to pull someone down and they got someone got up on a chair and was like, hey, you try to pull that kid up and let that kid try to pull you down, which is easier to do. It's easier to pull someone down, right, than it is to lift someone up. And that's true of chairs. But the Pharisees didn't want to surround themselves or associate with the gross sinners of their community. And we see that clash, that value clash between Jesus and the religious leaders right at the beginning of the passage. So let's start there. This is Luke 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's Jesus. They were all drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. 
saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he, Jesus, told them this parable. Stop right there. This man receives sinners, and he even eats with them. I feel like I'll eat with anybody. I might not look like it, but it's true. But they just... They, they see the sinners gathering around Jesus and the tax collectors. I mean, and they're gathering around, they're eating with Jesus, and they're grumbling about it. They're, oh, oh, you know, oh, that's so gross. Why would he do that? So Jesus tells them this parable. What do we know about the parable already? Before we even read the parable, what do we know about it? What's it going to be about? It's going to be, well, Jesus is hanging out with sinners because he loves them. He wants to be around them. The Pharisees think that they shouldn't be around each other. You shouldn't be hanging around sinners. He hears them grumbling about this, and so he tells them a parable. We see already, before we even read the parable, He's gonna. it's going to spring from the the idea, the difference between how God or how Jesus sees sinners and how these religious elitists see sinners. The parable is going to somehow expound on that, the difference between how God sees the sinful and how religious, righteous people see the sinful. So let's, let's read the first parable, starting in verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This parable, the story really has three parts. It's about losing a sheep. So there are three parts. If you look at it, the shepherd goes after the sheep that's lost. And then he does that until the sheep is found. And then they have a celebration. This is not earth-shattering information, okay? If you lost your cell phone, you would do the same thing, right? You would go looking for your cell phone. You would look for it until you found it. And then when you found it, you would go, oh, yes, I found it. Maybe you wouldn't throw a party with your neighbors about how you lost and then found your cell phone. But the same process is true. You would go looking for it. You would look for it until you found it. And then you would have some sort of joy upon finding the thing that was lost. Really three steps to what you do after losing something. The most remarkable thing about this first parable is what happens in that first part. How does the shepherd go after the sheep that's lost? He leaves the 99. If you've got 100 sheep and you do a head count and one of them is lost, you would, as a shepherd, leave the 99 and go find the one that was lost because the 99 will pretty much stay together. 
So think about if you if you've got a family. Say you've got a hundred children. You you would be Solomon, right? But say you've got a hundred children and you go to the zoo and you do a head count and you only count ninety-nine. You would say, Stay here, I'll be right back, right? And then you would go find the one that was missing. Same idea. The shepherd doesn't just go after the lost sheep. He leaves the 99. In the way that I read it, it is sort of a drop everything and go. That's, That's the sentiment that's here, is that the shepherd has a drop everything and go response to finding out that one of his sheep is lost. The point of the parable is that God urgently pursues the lost. This parable isn't about leaving the 99. And I've heard too many preachers at one point or another talk about how Jesus is the shepherd who leaves the 99. Guess what? His last words on earth were, were, and behold, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This parable is not about how God leaves us to pursue other people. This parable is about the urgency that God feels when he sees someone that he loves who is lost. He drops everything and goes. It doesn't mean that he drops you. But he pursues the lost with urgency. That's the point. This parable has three parts. We'll see each of those three parts come up again. We've got three parables, three parts, And there's a reason for that. The first parable highlights that first step of what to do when something is lost. How does God pursue the lost? Urgently. He urgently pursues the lost. The next parable is going to highlight that second part. Let's start reading that. That's going to be in verse 8. Sometimes Logan and I fight over the slides. If he hasn't changed the slide, I change it up here, and then he changes it back. (laughs) By the way, Alan and Logan, thank you guys for serving so faithfully and behind the scenes. You do an amazing job. I was going to say, if you see them walking around, thank them, but you have no idea who they are because they're back in the booth all the time. No, you know who they are. Give give them thanks when you see them. In any case, okay, starting in verse 8, this is the second parable. Or, Jesus is connecting the first parable to the second parable. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. See, in this parable, we see all three of those parts again, that that you go after the thing that you've lost until you find it, and then you celebrate. But this one highlights that second part, the, the, the diligent seeking after the thing that was lost. Having already emphasized that that God urgently pursues the lost, 
This parable answers the question, well, what's that like? What's that like when God pursues the lost? I've got two sons. One of them is very good at finding things. His name is Levi. He's about this tall. And he's great at finding stuff. Levi, go get your juice. And he will find it no matter where it is. It'll be up on a counter somewhere and he knows where it is. My older son, and again, don't go tell my son that we were talking about him in church. My older son, Aiden, will go like this. But I don't know where it is. You go, Aiden, go look for it. You go, I looked everywhere. You go, I haven't seen you move. You didn't move at all. So when God pursues the lost, when he goes seeking the lost, how, how does he search? What's that like? Well, the point of this parable is that he has a do-whatever-it-takes mentality. He's like a woman who's lost something really valuable at home. And she goes, okay, turn on all the lights. Turn on all the lights, and I'm going to sweep under all the couches, and I'm going to sweep under everywhere, and I'm going to find it. She's going to turn the house upside down looking for this thing that she's lost. And if you like that, God is like that for you. He's not like, well, I know they're lost, but I don't immediately see them around here. They're not going to be easy to reach, so I'm just going to leave them until they come back. He diligently pursues the lost. He does whatever it takes to rescue the lost. So what do we know? When God encounters lostness, when he sees that his sheep are lost, he drops everything to pursue, and then his pursuit is a do-whatever-it-takes kind of pursuit. Amen? Praise God that he doesn't give up on you quickly. Praise God that he didn't give up on me quickly. I sure made it hard on him. But praise God that he diligently does whatever it takes to rescue those who are lost. Amen. He doesn't just look for a little bit and give up. I love my son. He just gives up so fast. <laughs> it makes me think of uh, Saul. God does whatever it takes to reach people. Saul, the persecutor of Christians. Jesus blinded him on the road in order to reach his heart. God will do whatever it takes. It makes me think of Ruth. Ruth's husband had to die in order for her to, to go to her mother-in-law and say, your people will be my people, my God, and your God will be my God. God does whatever it takes to reach us. You don't have to have any example other than the cross, that Jesus does whatever it takes to reach you, that he'll go through whatever it takes to rescue you because of his love and in his grace. And finally, the third parable. Do you see how quickly we're moving through these parables? Isn't it fantastic? The third parable. Starting in verse 11. And he, that's Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me, his inheritance. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, 
the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And while he was out there, he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, you know that phrase, he came to himself, right? He, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I'll get up and go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him and said to his, and the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, for so many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, the father, said to the son, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's a beautiful story. There are a lot of things that this parable is not teaching us. For example, this, this parable does not teach us that God does not pursue the lost. The father did not pursue the son. It is not telling us that God doesn't pursue the lost. We know from the parable, the first parable especially, that God has a drop everything and go kind of response to the lost. Remember, it's a parable. Don't get lost in the riddle, asking questions, well, what's this and what's that? And how does this relate to that? And if this is true, then what about this? Look for God's heart in it. Look for the gospel. In both of the first two parables, there's a celebration when the lost thing is found. But this third parable is all about 
how God reacts when the lost repent and return. And that is the third point, that God and his angels have a massive celebration when someone who was lost repents, no matter what. No matter what. I'm so glad that it's no matter what. The parable of the prodigal son teaches us that if you're lost, if you're making your way through this world, when I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and so I'm familiar with trees. You guys might not know what trees are. <laughs> They're tall and there's lots of them. Anyway, when I think of being lost, I think of being in the woods. And normally when you get into the, deep into the woods, there's a trail that led you in there. But sometimes trails peter out and you, you, you end up somewhere and you don't exactly know where you are. If you're lost in a spiritual sense, it's sort of like being stuck in the woods where you sort of go, I know where I am. I'm right here. And there's a tree and there's a tree and there's a tree, but I don't know how to get home. I don't know how to get to safety. And you sort of make your way, right? If I was lost in the woods and I've been lost in the woods before, not like you would see in a newspaper or something, but I've been in the woods looking around and going, I actually don't know where I am right now. You walk, right? You walk until you find a fence or until you hit a road or a sign or something, or you bump into a house, not bump into, but you see a house, you go, oh, I know that house, right? If you bumped into a house, you'd be more than lost. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> but in a spiritual sense, lostness is just like being stuck in the woods where you're doing your best to try to make the best of your situation, but there isn't anything guiding you home. And you, there's no confidence that you have that at the end of this day, you're going to be safe and sound. Because Jesus said that he is the way. He's the only way. If you're looking for a trail, he's the only trail that will lead you to home, that will lead you to forgiveness, that will lead you back to God. And so that's what lost is referring to. When, when you're in the middle of being lost, You need something to guide you. God says through these three parables that he's the one, he's chasing you. That he chases after you, he pursues you until he finds you. He does whatever it takes to reach you. And then when you turn, if you turn, and recognize that in the middle of being lost, He's the only way for you to get back. Now, the price for getting back is steep. It's not cheap. It's going to cost you everything. But if you follow Jesus, he will lead you all the way home. And it's worth it. The nice thing is that when you turn and when you decide to follow Jesus... There is a heavenly celebration 
There is a huge celebration in heaven with the angels and everyone's throwing a party because you realize that you were lost. Not on your own because you're smart enough or you're strong enough, but because God pursued you and you realized that you were lost and, and you repented and you turned and you gave your life to Jesus who will lead you home. No matter what that journey has been like for you, if you're lost, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done or how far you've wandered away from God, no matter what, he will celebrate you coming to him. He will rejoice with the angels in heaven and this church if you repent and give your life to Jesus, knowing that you could keep going the way that you've been going, but you don't know where you're going. Only Jesus knows. Only Jesus knows. When you take the three parables together, Jesus was describing to these religious elitists, the self-righteous scribes and Pharisees. He's describing to them how God responds and how he feels about those who are far from him, those who are lost. And lost doesn't mean that you're bad. Human means you're bad. Lost means that you haven't found the way home. And Jesus is the only way home. So when people are lost and they're, and they're doing what lost people do, how, do, how does God respond to that? How do we respond to that? Well, God responds to that. He drops everything to pursue them. He does whatever it takes to reach them. And then he celebrates in heaven when someone turns from their sin, turns to him in faith and comes home. None of that's ambiguous. God's not wishy-washy about how he feels about the lost. So the question trickles down to us about 2,000 years later, do we have God's heart for those who are far from him or are we like the Pharisees? Are we like the older brother in the prodigal son parable? Oh, but he squandered everything. I've been a good Christian my whole life. The church never threw a party for me. How do we view people who are far from God? How do you view people who are far from God? In your personal life, let me ask you a couple questions. Don't answer them. Do you want to associate with sinners? Or would you rather stay away from them? In your personal life, don't answer it. Just think about it. Does your heart disdain people who don't live as righteously as you do? I'm talking about the people themselves, not what they do. When you find someone that doesn't live or doesn't believe the same things that, that you believe, that doesn't live as righteously as you, do you harbor ill feelings toward them? at church would you welcome sinners Betty Joe I said don't answer 
Would you welcome a sinner? Let me ask you this. If someone came in who looked very odd, that didn't look like us at all, that looked like they've never been to church before in their life, and they seem completely out of place here, would they catch you shooting odd glances or would they catch you making a beeline to welcome them and love them and greet them and find out who they are and what their story is? If two people showed up at church and one and you know one showed up and looked like they knew exactly what was going on, they'd go like, hey, we're just visiting from another church. And someone else came in and didn't know what to do. Maybe they seemed dirty or lost in some way. Who would you rather spend time with? Who would you rather talk to? If 20 sinners showed up next week, would you be excited or would you go home and grumble about it? I'm not kidding. The fact is, if you've given your life to Jesus, you ought to feel an urgent desire to associate with people who are far from God. I don't mean people who are especially bad, but yes, them too. I just mean everyone who's not following Jesus. You should have an urgent desire to associate with them, to know them, to relate to them. And then to do whatever it takes to share the gospel with them. Because that's what Jesus is like. If you've given your life to Jesus and he's guiding you, that's what he's like. He associates with sinners. Because he loves them. He associated with you. Because he loves you. We were all lost. Amen? We were all going our own way, doing our own thing. We didn't honor God with our lives. We valued the created over the creator. We were lost. It's incredibly humbling to think about how Jesus pursued me. Isn't it incredibly humbling to think about Jesus and how he pursued you? That he could have given up on you. That he could have rightly judged you from heaven and said, I gave you a shot. There's no second chances. How many chances did he give you? How many chances is he still giving you? And isn't his grace amazing? You can't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It is just out of his love and through his grace. He dropped everything and did whatever it took to find you. He never gave up on you. And when you gave your life to Jesus, he threw a party in heaven. You lit fireworks off in heaven when you gave your heart to Jesus. He threw a party in your honor when, by grace, through faith, you came home and found safety in his arms. Anyone else feel like singing Amazing Grace? <laughs> we got a Holy Smokes from Katie. We have to sing Amazing Grace. All right. We're going to sing a couple verses of Amazing Grace together, and then I'm going to wrap up the service and we're going to pray.
Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. His amazing grace. We need to have God's heart for the lost. This whole chapter, all three parables, when Jesus is hanging out with sinners and the Pharisees are grumbling about that, where are you in that scene? Are you sitting with Jesus, associating with sinners, or are you grumbling? Do you associate with sinners? Do you want to associate with sinners? I hope you do. I hope you will. Unfortunately, I think that largely Satan's won that battle. I think that largely Satan has tricked us. He's quenched our desire to be around people who are far from God. That's exactly where God is. That's exactly where Jesus wants us to be. And so I've got some homework for you. Are you ready? If you, when I asked, do you associate with sinners? Do you want to associate with sinners? Would you rather stay away from them? Would you rather them not come to church If I started asking those questions and you felt like the Holy Spirit was convicting you that you need to change your heart, pray. Pray that God would change your heart toward the lost. Pray that he would give you his eyes to see them, to see the value that they have. Pray that God would change your heart and give you a desire to be around them, to be with them, to witness to them. Pray that God would change your heart. Number two. If you don't associate with the lost, do it. Make a plan. I mean it right now. Think about one thing that you could do, that you will do, to spend time connecting with people who are not Christian. You might have to join something. You might have to call somebody. You might have to sign up for something. But think about what that is. And I'm not asking a hypothetical question. Think about what that is and make a plan to do it. For me, this week, as I was studying this, even though I was laid up in bed and my neck's basically broken, I thought, I need to join a gym. I obviously don't need to join a gym. That was a joke. (laughs) But I thought that would be a great way for me to associate with people who are not in the church. I spend most of my time around people who are in church. I need to associate with people who are far from God. I'm going to make phone calls this week and find out if there's a gym around here that's got a basketball court because that's a social thing that I like to do. Um, I'm, that's, that's, that's me. What about you? What are you going to do to associate with people that are not Christian? 
So pray that God changes your heart if you need to change heart. Make a plan to associate and spend time connecting with people who are not Christians. And number three, share the gospel. Share the gospel. If you have a heart for the lost and you're spending time with them, tell them. Tell them the good news that Jesus loves you. He wants to forgive you. He knows everything that you've done and he still loves you and still wants to forgive you and that you've got a place by his side no matter what. If you just turn your faith over to him and you follow him, his grace is that amazing. Share the gospel with somebody. Tell them your testimony. Tell them how God has changed your life. Tell them what he's done in you. Invite them to church. Invite somebody to church. And remember, the best way to invite someone to church is to meet them somewhere else and come together. Let's meet somewhere and we'll go to church together. And then take them out for lunch afterward. And start developing that. Start having that conversation. I love you guys.